So Hebrews chapter 8, again, hopefully you have your Bible. Hopefully you're there with me. Again, at Calvary Chapel, Miami, we have Bible studies. We're just studying the Bible together. You need your book to be able to take the class. Again, our book is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 8. And hey, let's read the first three verses and then we will dive in. So verse 1, it tells us now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not men. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So again, if the last couple of weeks have been maybe not your thing, maybe it's been too difficult, too in-depth, hey, don't worry. It was very hard for me too. But thank God now the author says, hey, now this is the main point. Basically, Hey, group of Hebrews that I'm writing to, if chapter 6 and chapter 7, they weren't chapter breaks back then. But hey, if the last couple paragraphs I wrote to you confuse you, don't worry. This is the main point. And what's the main point? That our high priest is a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle built by God himself. That again, we got to think of the context here. The author of Hebrews, again, it's written to Hebrews so that they would stop acting like Hebrews, right? You had these Hebrew believers and they were tempted to go back to their old way of Judaism. They were tempted to go back to the way that they had always known. Tempted to go back to their old lifestyle. Tempted to go back to the lifestyle of their parents. Tempted to go back to the lifestyle of the people around you. Tempted to not go against the current, but just go with the current. Tempted to do with religion the way the world would do religion. Tempted to do what everybody else thought was the right thing to do. And again, we may look at this and say, hey, this has nothing to do with me. I've never been concerned about having a high priest or not. Family, we have the same temptations today. To look to the same man that the rest of mankind is looking to. Whether he's on the right or on the left or he's someone else altogether, right? We're tempted to look at someone who is not Christ, to put our hope in another man, in another person. And Jesus, he is the only person that we should have our hope in. You see, again, our high priest, he ministers for us from a position of all authority in heaven. They were looking at their high priest who they could go to, they could speak with, they could see face to face and in person. But the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage him. Hey, our high priest is way better. And even though you can't see him or feel him, hey, he's working on your behalf. He's mediating on your behalf. He is praying for you. He is in the throne room of God sitting right next to him for us. Again, what a high priest we have. In Exodus 28 uh, sorry, Exodus 25, verse 8 through 9. You can turn there. We'll be looking a couple times in the book of Exodus. Because again, the first 
tabernacle, if you would, the first temple that was built by the Hebrew people, the architect or the first one who ever got the plans, it was Moses. And the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, thought that their temple was amazing, right? Each group of these Hebrew people, each temple, each tabernacle, they thought was amazing. We know the middle one, they didn't think it was that special, but the the power of God comes in there and is amazing and is incredible. But in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, this is as God himself is speaking to Moses and telling him, hey, this is the way I want you to build this tabernacle. And in verse 8 and 9, it tells us, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So again, God gave the Hebrew people the tabernacle, the plans, But it wasn't the main tabernacle of God. This wasn't the main place where God was to dwell in, right? In my mind, the first thing that popped up was Disney World and Disneyland. You see, being a Florida kid, I grew up and we would go to Disney World a couple of times and we got used to it. It was our status quo. In sixth grade, I believe, around that time, we took a trip to California and someone blessed us and we were able to go to Disneyland. But when we went to Disneyland, I realized everything is so much smaller. You see, even the Princess Castle, it's smaller than some of the houses you see around Miami. And I was thinking, man, what is the big deal here? And again, the author of Hebrews, he's likening the difference of Jesus Christ as our high priest compared to the normal high priest. He's also comparing the temple that they were seeing, that they were used to, that they can go and offer sacrifices. Can, compared to the true temple, which is in heaven, the throne room of God. Again, the comparisons there. It's as if you would be comparing a NASCAR racer to a remote control racer, right? It's like if someone in esports that they play racing games and they make money through video games playing racing games and they will come up to a NASCAR racer and say, hey, I could beat you in the real world, right? It'd be insane. It's insanity. It's way out of their leagues, right? Here in Miami, we have Tropical Park and there's those guys that play softball and they think that they are the big poppy, right? The big poppy de la película, right? They think that they're the man, that they hit those home runs. All they do is softball, tropical park. That's all they live for, right? And they think they're all that in a bag of chips. But now if they would go against a college pitcher, if they would go against a pro pitcher, they would be whiffing. They would be doing nothing. So again, the author here is saying, hey, there's a huge difference between Jesus Our perfect high priest, the high priest within Christianity, and the high priest during the time of these new Hebrew believers. David Guzik, he makes a great point. He says, the tabernacle and the temple of of the old covenant, they had beautiful furnishings, but they had no place for the priest to sit down because their work was never finished. You see, family, the work of Jesus is finished. He's seated in heaven at the right hand of God. And yet the priests, they would always be working. They had the table of showbread. They had the incense. They had the altar. They had the the laver, I think it says, where they would go wash their hands. They were working all the time. There was no rest for them. But Christ, 
On the cross, he's able to say, it is finished. Teletestai, right? Paid in full. And Jesus, he did the work and it was complete. He is our high priest and family. Our high priest, the man we look to, is so much greater than any other man, any other president, any other king, any other celebrity, any other pastor. Jesus is better than everything and anyone else. And then in verse 3, he says, Therefore, it is necessary that this one, speaking of Jesus, also have something to offer. Again, what we just spoke about. The high priest and the priests in the time of the Jews, hey, they would have to offer sacrifices. That was part of their job description. So if Jesus is also a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, as we learned last week, right? He needed to sacrifice something too. But his sacrifice was the greatest sacrifice ever. Again, as we just said, his sacrifice can free us from sin once and for all. No sacrifice prior to that would be able to free a man or, in a sense, pull the sin off of them. It was just like in the Passover that the blood shed would atone for, in a sense, covering or pay for the sin that was due. Every single time you sinned, you would have to make a sacrifice. Every single time. But now Christ, once and for all, he makes a way so that we can have a relationship and a friendship with God. Right? He came to fulfill all the law. He came to fulfill all the prophecies. We keep reading. Now we look at verse 4 and 5. It tells us, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. If you still have your finger in Exodus 25, we can jump back there. And again, we see here again God alluding to the point that, hey, I want you to build this tabernacle. And hey, I'm going to come down. I'm going to hang out with you guys. I'm going to dwell among you, which again is mind-blowing. Right now my devos, I'm in Deuteronomy. And the Jewish people, they were blown away that God would dwell among them. That God would speak to them. I pray that we would have that same excitement. That same humility that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, he wants to talk to you tonight. He wants to talk to me tonight, tomorrow morning. He wants to get alone with me and that should be mind-blowing to us. But in Exodus 25, in verse 40, he says, And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Again, it's as if you really like a set of building plans that someone has in their home. A couple guys here in the church were more and more getting into woodworking and were sharing different plans. Hey, look at this miter saw station. Look at this desk I made. Look at this vanity I made, right? Instead of having to spend 200 bucks at Ikea, I got $50 of wood and I have a solid wood vanity. And what happens is you see someone's vanity, you see some, not their actual vanity, right? You don't want to copy someone else's vanity. But you see someone's bathroom vanity, you see somebody else's bookshelf or chair, and they tell you they make it, and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. What are the plans for that? Can you give me the measurements for that? And in a sense, God, he looks in the throne room in heaven, and he says, hey, Moses, I want you to make this little model of what I have here in heaven. 
That's what was going on with the temple. That's what was going on with the tabernacle. But the Jewish people, they took great pride in their tabernacle and in the temple. Again, gold everywhere, ivory everywhere. The temple was so white, they said that at certain times of the day, it would be blinding to look at when the sun was shining against it. Most of the houses to us today, they would be looked at as little shacks. And the temple was 30, 40, 50 feet tall. Anywhere in Jerusalem, you could see the temple. They took great pride in their temple, much less during the days of Jesus Herod, he wanted to make something incredible. The guy was into architecture, and the guy was totally puffed up with pride. So anything he made, he wanted to look incredible and amazing. So the Jews were blown away at the way the temple looked. But again, the author of Hebrews is telling him, hey, that temple has nothing on the throne room of God. And again, family, that should create excitement within us. Do you have an excitement for heaven? Do you have an excitement to be able to one day worship God? Christ face to face amongst the body of believers is that excitement anywhere inside of you as a Christian or is your only excitement hey when I can go to that restaurant again right Lord I pray please may Texas of Brazil not go out of business because all I'm dreaming about is going back to Texas de Brazil and being able to eat all the steak I want and some guy with funny pants bringing it to me to my table right is that your only hope or only dream in all this right Or family, are you excited for heaven? Again, that's our true home. We're not of this world. That's our true home. Are we excited about it? This temple and even our church, it's just a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, right? As I desire to be here and be worshiping and then stay silent for a while and hear all the saints worshiping out loud, family, we should have the same desire for heaven. That it won't just be our church, but it'll be all the churches that exist. It'll be all the saints that have ever existed with one loud voice worshiping God. Right? That, that should bring us to tears. That should bring emotion within us because we should have a desire. Lord, I want to go home. Lord, I want to see you. I want my friends and family to be there with me as I worship you in heaven. Right? Again, Billy, him mentioning that. That teaching, being able to come back with Christ on those horses and looking at one another saying, man, we made it. We made it to this point. Family, that should be our greatest desire. Not for our economy to get better, not be able to go party again, not to go back to a restaurant. No, our greatest desire, even more than going back to church, should be, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So then in Colossians chapter 13, we saw the idea of a pattern or a copy as was said in verse 5. But now the second part of that where he says a shadow of the heavenly things, we go to Colossians chapter 2. And again, you have a lot of people who are very much into religion. They're into religiosity. They say, hey, I love God more than you because I dress this way or I'm wearing this special hat or I do these special things on this special day. And ultimately, family, that's just a shadow of the reality of what God has for us. Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 13, it tells us, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made 
alive together in him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped away the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Family, the substance is Christ. So if you go to church on Saturday or Sunday, the substance is Christ. If you go to church on Wednesday or Thursday, the substance is Christ. If you don't eat steak on Good Friday, the substance is Christ. All that religiosity, all the rules and regulations, that was just a shadow of heaven. That was a shadow of the things to come. That's the way we should look at the law. Hey, this is a shadow of the things to come. And now, thank God, now there's a new covenant which the author of Hebrews dives into. That no longer do we need to follow the law to a T, but now he gives us a new commandment, right? He combines all the commandments into two things. Hey, love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Do these two things and there you have fulfilled all the law, right? But he has done so much for us. Verse 6, but now we go back to Hebrews chapter 8. And in verse 6 we continue, he says, but now... He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Again, he's encouraging them, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the high priest. Don't go back to having to offer sacrifices and not being able to eat pork or shellfish. Don't go back to having to go to Jerusalem three times a year. Don't go back to having to get circumcised. Don't go back to not trimming the corners of your beard. Don't go back to all this law, rules, and regulations. Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry. Christ is the mediator of a better covenant and we have better promises on it. Why would you want to go back? Family, why would you want to go back to your old way of life? Why would you want to go back to your old way of sin, your old way of anxiety, your old way of fear? Why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to the slavery of sin? Right? We talk about it. I use that analogy. Imagine someone who was a sex slave and you free them, you give them a job, you give them clothing, you give them money, and all of a sudden they go, no, I want to go back to what I used to do. I want to go back to my pimp. I want to go back to the men that owned me and made me do horrible things. It would be insanity. Yet when we go back to our old way of life, that is exactly what we're doing. In this context, a more excellent ministry, you see no sacrifice, we've talked about it, no sacrifice was able to take away sin completely. But Christ, he made things far better. His sacrifice was able to take away sin. It was also is made us able to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. You see, Moses, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, Moses, he was the mediator, right? What does that word mediator mean? The, the go-between. 
There's two parties. They're not cool with each other. They're not okay with each other. So now you bring a mediator into the middle to, hey, what do you want? Okay, what do you want? Okay, let me help you understand one another. Hopefully in your family you have at least one mediator, right? Hey, no, no, no. This is what they really mean, right? No, no, no. This is what they really say. No, when they text you in all caps, they're not really screaming at you. They just don't know any better, right? Hopefully you have one person like that in your family. But Moses, he was the mediator of the old covenant. He brought the two parties together. The Jewish people, they were freaking out at the mountain. When they saw the mountain shaking, when they saw the lightning, when they saw the fire, they said, nope, we're not going up there. Moses, you go up there for us. Again, God invited all of them to go up there. But they said, nope, no way, Jose. Moses, you go up there for us. So Moses, he went up, he met with God, and he mediated between God and the people. And now what he brought together, the relationship he brought or the contract he brought, in a sense, it was based on the law and on the works of man. That again, God was still willing to show and give grace, but it was based on the law and it was based on the works of man. But then Jesus came and now he's the mediator. He's the go-between of the new covenant, right? How often we see Jesus speaking with God as he's a man, right? Even on the cross, how many things does Jesus say on the cross that are directed to God, right? Most of the sayings on the cross are directed to God. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He brings the two parties together, but now it's not based on man's work. It's based on his work, right? Now it's not based on our sacrifice, but now it's a gift of grace, right? We think of Ephesians so that no man would boast. It's a gift of grace. And now the way we live in it is not through sacrifices, but it's living in faith. It's living in faith. And now these two things, this is what brings us into unity with God. Now it's not necessarily keeping the law of the Old Testament and sacrifice. That does not bring us unity with God. But what brings us unity with God is the gift of grace that Christ Jesus has purchased on the cross, and now we need to live in faith, right? Soon we'll be going through Hebrews 11. We know it's impossible to please him without faith. We know that the just, they live by faith. We need to have that faith. And now the relationship we have with Christ, we still do those works, different kinds of works now, but now we don't do that to be right with God. We do that because we love God. Right? There's a great difference there. Now we do all these things because we love him. We don't do these things because they're going to make us more holy or less holy. We don't do these things because now we're going to go up in the totem pole of heaven or we're going to go up and we're going to climb the corporate ladder within Calvary Chapel, Miami. That's not the reason why we do these things. Now we do these things because he loved us first and we just want to reciprocate that love back to him. We just want to say thank you. That's the reason why we work and why we serve. Verse 7 through 9. Hopefully you're back in Hebrews chapter 8. Now he continues to speak about that new covenant which is given to us, which has been purchased by Jesus, has been mediated by Jesus, the sacrifices Jesus. He's the whole reason for the new covenant. Verses 7 through 9, it tells us, For if... That first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, 
He says, behold, and I love these three words, behold, the days are coming. I guess that's way more than three words, right? Five words. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Again, he's speaking of a brand new covenant. He's going to create a brand new covenant with the people, with us. Now, if we go back to Exodus 19, verse 5, you get a picture, a taste of the old covenant. Exodus, right, we keep jumping back and forth, Bible study, we're studying our textbook, we're highlighting, we're learning about it. Exodus chapter 19, he says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So again, it was based on, right? There was, in a sense, a little word there, right? Those tiny little words that it was based on the people that if they would keep the covenant, that if they would stick to him and never leave him, never forsake him, never make a mistake, it was based on the people. But now we have that new covenant that now Christ is the one that has done everything and now we just hold on to him, right? Lately, we've been reading a lot about just abiding with Christ, Now that's what we must do. We just have to abide with Christ. He's done all the work. Now we abide with him. And just like whenever you fall in love with someone, you're willing to do more and more to bless them and please them. This should be our heart with the Lord. And now some people, they take this scripture and they take it out of context. They see, you see, God, he's done with the people of Israel. God, he's replaced the people of Israel with now us as Christians. People of Israel, they're terrible. They crucified Jesus. A bunch of garbage, really, right? Matthew 15, verse 24. This is Jesus himself, right? Some people forget Jesus. He's Jewish, right? Some people forget about that. But in Matthew 15, verse 24, it says, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, Jesus first and foremost came for the people of Israel. Then you can think of that parable, that groom who his father, he sent to the specific people. Hey, you're invited to the party. You're invited to the wedding feast. And they made a ton of excuses not to go. So he says, hey, I have all this food. We have this great and amazing party. Go on the highways and byways and you invite everyone and anyone you can find. And that's us. Now we are those Gentiles, right, who get to be invited into this covenant and friendship and family with God. You can be reminded of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, Jesus says, hey, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, first and foremost, and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, family, God, he is not done with the Jewish people. He still loves them. They're still very special to him. And again, we believe and hopefully you see it as a church, as a person that he's going to bless those that bless him. He's going to curse those that curse them. 
and I believe, I know Pastor As believes, a lot of pastors believe, the blessings, the joys, the riches that we've seen in America, a lot of that is due to the friendship and relationship that as a country we have had with Israel. And we as a church here, we love going to Israel. Can't wait to go back to Israel. Can't wait to go on that trip once again. We love going to Israel, right? We continue back in Hebrews chapter 8. Now we look at verse 10, and the author continues to dive into the new covenant, right? Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make within the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, the Lord, he's now willing to do the work for them. He's willing to do the work for us. That again, I say it all the time. Many times we just try to work on our outside appearance as, as people. We think Christianity is here just to help me on my outward appearance, to look kinder, to edit my habits, to edit the way I, I act and treat people. But in all reality, what Christ needs to do is regenerate us. He needs to change our hearts. He needs to change our minds, and then we're able to love the Lord and seek Him. Then we're able to keep the law. I love Charles Spurgeon. He says, the best way to make a man keep the law is to make him love the lawgiver. The best way to make a man keep the law is to make him love the lawgiver. And again, we have friends and family that we love them dearly, so we do crazy things for them, right? We have those friends and family members, hey, no shoes in the house. And before you get in the house, you have to take off your shoes and then you go in the house. But you love them, you care about them, so you still do it, right? You have those friends and family members that there's a special room that no one ever sits in, right? It's just, it's just for show. There's this couch that no one has ever sat on and you're not allowed to sit on there. But you love them, doesn't make any sense. But hey, you still love them and do these things, right? Maybe you've been on a family vacation, Maybe you've been to a family reunion or special things that people do during the holidays that it's insane. But because you love them, you're willing to do the specific things for them. Again, what does this look like? God, he's going to put this new law in our minds. He's going to write it on our hearts. He's going to be our God. He's, we're going to be his people. In Psalm chapter 40, you can just write this down. I wish we had more time. Psalm 40. Verse 6 through 8, David here, again, just such an amazing man of prophecy and poetry. Verse 6, it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Again, that's not the natural man. That's not the natural human being. You run into a random guy at the store, right? You men, you go to your barber shop and you tell him, hey, do you never watch pornography? Do you only think about your wife? Are you only intimate with your wife? Most of those guys will think that you're crazy, that you're some type of monk, right? This is not what is meant to be in our heart. But now when we come into this real and right relationship with God, then we are like David. Where now, Lord, I delight to do your will. Lord, I delight to spend time with you. I delight to be in the scroll of the book, right? Your word is now written in my heart. 
Again, you can contrast that to the people of Israel. What did they do even though God said, hey, you should write my word in your minds and in your hearts? What did they do? They just made more religiosity out of it, right? They made phylacteries. If you ever play a certain game with Amanda, that's always the word she writes down, phylacteries, right? And it's a little box that they would wrap on their head that would have a portion of scripture in it. They would wrap those same things around their hands. They would wrap that around their heart. It was all about religion for them. It wasn't about this relationship. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, this is a very special scripture to me and my life. Again, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. God says, hey, I will give you a new heart and I will put a spirit within you. I will take your heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Again, family, if it's just impossible for you to follow God's word, if obeying the Bible, if obeying God's word seems to you like like you're pulling a tractor trailer with your teeth, again, you have to reassess things. Lord, do I really love you? Lord, am I really praying that you would create in me a clean heart? Lord, am I really praying that you would renew my mind? Lord, have you really done this regeneration within me? Or Lord, am I just a make-believer? Am I just a pretender? That if I would die, I would get to the pearly gates and Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Again, that quote from Charles Spurgeon, how do you get someone to keep the law? They have to fall in love with the lawgiver. Verse 11 through 13 Hopefully you're still there in Hebrews chapter 8. Hopefully you've enjoyed going through the word of God. I know I have. I know I needed this teaching. If nobody's watching, at least it was for me and a blessing for me. But hey, verse 11 through 13, it says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember No more. In that he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Family, what a promise for us. Again in verse 11, none of them shall teach his neighbor or his brother saying know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Again, not everyone could just walk into the temple. Not everyone could just walk into the Holy of Holies. That was very particular people. But now we're all able to meet with the Lord. We're all able to have that friendship and relationship with Him. You can have that experience of headwaters. You can have that experience of the ranch. You could have that experience at the Hyatt during one of those retreats. If you put in the work. A couple weeks ago, right, we looked at that we need to labor to enter into his rest. Family, are you laboring to enter into that rest? You don't need a mediate. You don't need a man to mediate your relationship with God any longer. Now Jesus wants to speak to you. Jesus, he wants to spend time with you. And how much comfort should we have in verse 12? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Here he's quoting Jeremiah 31. Hey, let's turn there. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, Behold, right? Again, we get these same great words. Behold, the days are coming. 
says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hands to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, God is willing to be gracious to us. He wants to be merciful to us, family. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what sins you're struggling with. And a lot of people, it's not necessarily that they're even struggling with the same sins, but they're struggling with accepting forgiveness from Jesus. They're struggling with really allowing Christ to give you a new name. For Christ to look at you and say, hey, you were once of this, but I want to make you someone completely new. Right? That, that word metamorphosis. You're a caterpillar. You're running around. Not running around. No, you're crawling around on your belly. But hey, I want to do a work in you where now you're flying. You're flying in this life. You're filled with peace, filled with joy, filled with love. Again, family, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Do any of those adjectives go with your lifestyle? Do any of those adjectives go with the way you live life? In any time period, right? All of a sudden, we're making a ton of excuses for the way that we're living as believers. Many believers, they're just basing everything on fear based on, I might die. Someone close to me might die. But family, that was a reality that we always had. You might die. Right? In fact, the stats, everyone dies, right? Every single person dies. Think of the believers of old. Think of the believers that we have in the Middle East. Think of Sam and Bina in India, where them obeying God can cost them their life by a government that will kill them and harm them if they follow God. Family, hopefully we're living in the truth of God. Count the cost. Count the cost of following Jesus Christ in the good, in the bad, and the ugly. We're promised that in latter times, hey, there's going to be more and more hatred towards Christians. Being thrown in prison, what will we do then? If the government tells you, hey, if you go to church, if you proclaim Jesus, you and your family will go to jail, will go to prison. Have you counted the cost? Are you ready there? Again, you should count the cost. You should allow yourself to go to those dark places in life lord would i really still seek you lord would i really still honor you lord do i just sing these songs but truly they mean nothing and again we could pray like peter lord i believe but help my unbelief god i want to be there right now i'm fearful i'm anxious i don't know if i'm there but god may you do that work within me and like gideon he can look at you afraid hiding in a cave and he can say you mighty man of valor Because if you allow God to take hold of your life, if you obey his word, if you allow yourself to see yourself the way he sees you, right, then he washes away your sins. He gives you mercy. He forgets your sins. What an amazing God and high priest we serve. Verse 13, again, he says, a new covenant has been made and now the first, it is obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You can be reminded of Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. And Jesus, as he's having the Last Supper, as he's serving the disciples the Passover meal, he said to them, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Again, there's a new covenant, family. Once Jesus died and resurrected, we're in a new covenant. And now the old one is obsolete. 
What does that word obsolete mean? It means no longer in use. It's a style which is no longer current. So again, for these new believers, their old way of life, their old way of religion, it was no longer of use. It was no longer current. It was out of style. It was gone. And now clothing, style, hey, it comes in and out. But think about technology. Once a technology is obsolete, it's done with. It's dead. It's over with, right? When was the last time you grabbed your old iPod, right? That had 32 megs of space, right? That's old. That's obsolete. The other day we were talking, I was talking with Frank and man, a floppy disk drive, right? When was the last time you saw a floppy disk? We used to watch those movies and the, the kill codes for a nuclear missile, they would be like grabbing the floppy disk. That's a coaster nowadays, right? And now if you've really been through it, you had the big floppy disk, you'd be playing Oregon Trail and different things like that. But those things are obsolete, those things are obsolete. Imagine being given a brand new computer and saying, no, I don't want that. I want to go back to the old way of life. I want to go back to Windows 98. I miss that little, that little, uh, what in the world was he, right? That little clipboard, little clip, right? That little pin. Man, I miss him telling me what I'm doing wrong and just crashing my computer all the time. I'm, man, I love this new internet speed. 200 megs. That's a, that 200 gigs. Hey, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. I really want to go back to dial-up. I just miss the noises, right? right? I miss that so much. This is what these believers were wanting to go back to. They wanted to go back to their old way of life. They wanted to go back to the old religion. And it made no sense to them, family. And the same is true for us today. Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go back to your old way of sin. Don't go back to your old way of fear and anxiety. Don't go back to your old way of depression. Don't go back to your old way of those vices owning you, of alcohol and drugs. Don't go back to going to pornography every time that you're down. Don't go back to gossip. Don't go back to tearing people down. Family, there's a new covenant, a new covenant that is not obsolete. It is the newest and best thing out there. Nothing in this world will give you peace except for Christ. Nothing in this world will give you true meaning that will never move and never be shaken except for Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God. No one comes to heaven no one comes to peace or joy except through Jesus Christ. And finally, again, God is so good. Right after this letter is written, a few years transpire and guess what happens? The temple was destroyed. The priesthood was done, was over with. There is no more sacrifices. Titus Vespasian, he comes in and he destroys all of Jerusalem. So again, imagine if these Hebrew believers said, okay, Jesus, you are great, you are awesome, but it got hard, it got difficult, people were making fun of me, so now I'm going back to the old life, I'm going back to the old way, only to see the temple destroyed. Family, God knows where you're at. He knows the future. He sees things ahead of time, so we need to trust in Him more than ever. 